saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 41. Dr. Angie Sadegi, plant-based GI doctor on diet and our gut, and why she ditched dairy. Crunchy green and yummy and it's about to blow your mind It's low on calories and it looks like mini trees When you're having dinner with me Broccoli I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, food-for-life cooking instructor, health and wellness coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope you keep coming back as a regular listener. You can find more of my work, including health and wellness videos, at Veggie Fit Kids on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome, 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 veggie lovers, to season two of Veggie Doctor Radio. I'm so excited to be back. I definitely needed a little bit of a break, a little bit of a pause, a breather, but now I'm back and I have a fantastic lineup for you this season, starting with the amazing Dr. Angie Sadegi. We had a wonderful talk together, could have talked for a couple more hours. I can't wait to meet her in person, and I can't wait for you to hear all the wonderful wisdom that she has. I've been wanting to have a GI doctor on the podcast for a while, and I'm so glad that I was able to convince Dr. Sadegi to be my guest. But before I get on to telling you more about Dr. Sadegi, I wanted to update you because even though I've been off of Veggie Doctor Radio for a few weeks. We have been busy creating lots of cool things. First thing is that we now have merchandise. So we have Salad Lover t-shirts for all of you salad lovers out there. So go to VeggieFitKids.com and look at our merchandise. We have t-shirts and stickers for you to be able to purchase. Let us know what you like and if you do like them or if you don't like them, we'd like to hear either way. So check that out. The other thing is that I have a 16-week weight loss and wellness intensive coaching program for women only called Warrior Woman Wellness. And it starts September the 17th. This is going to be a very small group, only up to 10 women that I meet with regularly with private coaching and also some group coaching and high accountability, daily touch points of accountability. Also, there is a Facebook group 
and there's some more private group things in addition to Facebook that you can be part of. I'm super excited about this program. I have already worked with several women who've had great success. They feel like their lives have changed in a very positive way and hopefully forever. They're feeling confident. They're loving their new lifestyle. And I just love helping women in this way so that you feel empowered to make the changes in your life so that you can be healthier and also have the body that you want, decrease your stress, sleep better, all of those things. So if you're interested in that, go to veggiefitkids.com forward slash warrior woman, W-A-R-R-I-O-R-W-O-M-A-N. Okay, so check that out as well. And please, if you like and listen to my podcast, rate it and review it and share it. I really want to spread this podcast. Now that we're in season two, I want to grow it. I want to get more downloads. I want to get the word out there and I want other listeners to hear from these wonderful guests that I'm learning so much from so I know that you can learn from them as well. So please take just a couple minutes to rate and review the podcast and share it on your social media or share with your friends and family. Remember that you can find me at Veggie Fit Kids on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can also go to my website, VeggieFitKids.com, sign up for my newsletter so that you can be the first to know when there's new things coming out, which my book will be coming out by the end of this year. So if you want to be in the know about that, please sign up for my newsletter. Okay, that's enough about that. Let's talk about Dr. Angie Sadegi. She is a diplomat of the American Board of Internal Medicine and a diplomat of the American Board of Gastroenterology. She is a member of the American Society of Bariatric Physicians and an avid fitness competitor. She offers a complete range of services, including treatments for digestive, stomach, esophagus, liver, and colon-related illnesses. She has extensive training from the prestigious University of Southern California and demonstrates exceptional commitment to excellence in treating diseases of the digestive tract. Combining evidence-based medicine, her expertise in the digestive system, and her passion for physical fitness and nutrition, Dr. Angie has developed a comprehensive approach to helping patients live a healthy life. Dr. Angie is passionate about disease prevention, and we had just a great conversation. I know that you'll love it. So now, on to the interview. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Dr. Angie Sadegi, thank you so much for being a guest on Veggie Doctor Radio today. It is such an honor to have you on. My pleasure, Dr. Yami. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I first heard about you on an article that was on PETA. It was like top 15 or top 10 doctors to follow. And then I've been following you, been seeing all the things that you post on Facebook, and you just seem to do amazing work. But I'm really curious, what is it that brought you to a whole food plant-based diet? Well, as you know, as physicians, we're all limited uh, with uh, by using drugs all the time in clinic. 
And um, interestingly, I was um, I stumbled upon this lifestyle because I was trying to get fit and uh, healthy myself. And one day I was at a seminar and I ran into my cousin who is a vegan. She's a musician in Hollywood, beautiful girl. She said to me, you know, she um, was talking to me about the vegan lifestyle and um, she was talking about the benefits of uh, stopping that dairy that I was consuming. I was vegetarian at that time. And uh, she mentioned forks over knives. And up until that point, as you know, uh, I was practicing evidence-based medicine that was not quite complete evidence-based because a lot of it was omitted out of my practice in, in regards to nutrition. And I was just basically pushing drugs, just like all the other doctors, not talking about nutrition, not talking about lifestyle. At that point, when my uh, cousin Matha told me, you know, you, you really should go home and get on Netflix and look up Forks Over Knives. I had no idea what Forks Over Knives is. I didn't even know there are doctors practicing evidence-based medicine and um, in regards to nutrition and whole food plant-based. I was like, okay, I'll do that. And uh, I basically went home that night and I washed Forks Over Knives and it had quite an, a dramatic effect on me because up until that point, we I thought as we were taught in school, you can't reverse coronary disease. I mean, right? I mean, did you even know? You're, I didn't know. I didn't know you can reverse coronary disease with, with a plant-based diet. Up until that moment, I thought, well, you rip out uh, veins out of the leg and you open up the chest, crack, crack it open and implant those veins in the coronaries. Um, and that's how you clean up your arteries. There is no such thing as diet cleaning up arteries. And so uh, it, it was like a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh my God, how come nobody had told me this? And they went on and talked about how you, you know, you, uh, dairies, uh, what kind of deleterious effects dairy could have on your body and casein as a promoter of cancer. I was like, oh my God, I just, the whole point of my jaw was dropped, you know, and, and that movie has a quite a dramatic effect on the layperson, much and it's, I believe it has much more of an effect on medical doctors because there's so much information in there that we are not taught. I don't know if it's on purpose that it's omitted out of our curriculum or I, I, I really don't know why, but it just was like very eye-opening. And I knew that at that moment that I wanted to join Dr. T. Campbell and Dr. Esselstein in efforts to promote the whole food plant-based diet to really help my patients with lifestyle and to really help them reverse disease, not band-aid treated with medicines and drugs. Oh, that's beautiful. And yes, I agree. As a pediatrician, and I've said this before on podcasts that I've been interviewed on, I was taught that basically children must have milk. And I was a, a milk pusher. I was a dairy pusher for many years. And now I'm essentially the opposite. So yeah, it happens in our training. So how was it personally for you? So at that point, you were a vegetarian. How long had you been vegetarian whenever you saw Forks Over Knives? About 13 years. But I really did not know the deleterious effects of dairy. And honestly, Dr. Yami, I was one of those people who was sick. I was, I had really, really bad eczema. And I, I tell you eczema and a lot of people think, oh, well, she had a little rash. No, I had the worst type of eczema, embarrassing where I had, I was embarrassed to shake my patient's hands because it was like really bad scaly eczema. 
I would itch so badly from the bottom of my feet to my hands, like literally my hands, I had blisters on my hands because of uh, pustular eczema. Mm -hmm. And these things were so itchy, I would bleed myself from scratching so hard. I have scars over my legs from scratching so hard. So every single day of my life, I would take Benadryl to sleep. Otherwise I couldn't get good sleep because of my rash. I even had scalp uh, eczema, which is borderline, it was actually borderline psoriasis. Mm. Um, I had, uh, I was overweight. Um, I was a, I was a big cheese consumer. Okay. Cheese was my deal. Okay. I was not eating meat, but I was, I was eating a lot of dairy, yogurt and, and cheese were the mainstay of my diet. I didn't really drink milk, but I mean, I did consume a lot of dairy. And so I just basically had a little bit of high cholesterol, um, and um, but I had a really poor quality of life because of the eczema. And it, 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 it wasn't just any eczema, it was really bad eczema. And every time I went to dermatologists, they're like, well, there's nothing you can do here. Put some corticosteroid creams on it, take some Adorex for the itching and Benadryl. So I did that for years. And, you know, honestly, that day after I watched Forks Over Knives, I was like, I am done with this crap. Excuse my language. I was like, I'm not eating it. So I stopped. I went on a whole food plant-based diet. And overnight, I noticed my itching went away. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you kidding me? Like, my itching went away. Like, uh, to this day, I only had one eczema breakout, and that's because one time, two two years ago, I was at Big Bear, and someone uh, offered me coffee, and they put Bailey's cream in it, Irish cream in it, and I didn't know, and I drank it, and that night, I broke out, and I'm like, what the heck? I didn't have any dairy. What What is going on? And then I reviewed my diet the whole time, and I, I, I realized that that coffee with Bailey's has Irish cream in it. I, I didn't know that's dairy, but then it just clicked. And literally for 24 hours, I suffered from itching and rash. So it's it was that dramatic for me. So I wanted, I, I don't know how much eczema you see in your clinic. Do you see a lot? A lot. And that is one of the first things I eliminate in the kid's diet is dairy. And there's some breastfed babies that even get it through the mom's milk and they get sensitivities. But you had never made the connection that maybe no. it was your diet. Nobody had ever told you. Nobody, not even one single person. Now, now, every time I see a dermatologist, I let them know <laughs> because yeah. I don't want other people to suffer. I've treated eczema in my clinic and I'm a gastroenterologist because they come in and they're like, I've really bad eczema. I'm like, have you tried avoiding dairy? And lo and behold, they get better. So I feel like a dermatologist here. <laughs> that is, that's an amazing story because you're saying this was not just like a little patch here or there. This was really affecting you and that dramatically changed your life. Wow. Amazing. It changed my life. Absolutely. And then the other thing I want to comment on, because I've seen pictures of you at the gym and you look incredibly fit, like, wow, wow, wow. So you said that before you went on a whole food plant-based diet, you were actually overweight. I was, I looked 10 or 15 years older than my age. I was tired where I could barely function. I was um, depressed a little bit. I couldn't, um, I, I can't, I had that bloat going on, you know, that, that belly bloat, the mesenteric fat. I had that. It was like embarrassing. I, I didn't look very good. I, um, when I went whole food plant-based and I gave up oils, that's the one thing I gave up is the oils and the, the empty calories. Like I went to whole foods, like 
and everything non-refined whole foods. Like, you know, I switched from, um, you know, obviously I wasn't eating meat, but I, I gave up all the dairy. I ditched, I, let me tell you the slogan, ditch dairy for good. Kind of like what Dotsie Bosch's program is all about. She's a uh, silver medalist, uh, mm-hmm. Olympic silver medalist, and she ditched dairy for good. I ditched dairy for good. And so, and Dr. Mills would say, that, you know, I love that slogan. Anyway, ditch dairy. When I ditched dairy, I got tremendous health benefits. But I also fine-tuned my diet a little bit more. I incorporated more fruits and vegetables into my diet, and I got my, more micronutrients. I basically incorporated more tofu and more, more soybeans into my diet. And um, what else did I incorporate? I mean, pretty much just all the good whole grains, and I ditched all the refined sugars too. So it, suddenly I started eating this perfectly healthy diet, and my my body started shredding, like, you know, those the shredded abs that you see on, on fitness magazines. I literally, Dr. Yami, I was, I would like walk into the gym and people would be like, are you a fitness competitor? I'm like, no, I'm a doctor, but thank you. You know, (laughs) I started looking like a fitness person and I wasn't even like trying to, you know, achieve that. Look, I didn't even know it's possible. You know, I dreamed of it, but it happened. <laughs> wow. Well, I agree because I've seen pictures of you and I thought that maybe you did compete because you have nice muscles and you look great. So congratulations. Thank you. I did compete once when I went um, on the diet at first. I was like, I'm going to step on stage. I, I, you know, I did set that goal and I did. Um, but as you know, uh, my mission, kind of like you, I'm sure your mission is this pretty much the same. I want to get this the word of Whole Foods plant-based diet out. And I feel like I'm more effective as a doctor at this point than a fitness competitor. So I'm very committed to being a Whole Foods plant-based physician. Um, the competitions, you really need to do it full-time to succeed. And But but I like to be the fit doctor. I just still have that side to me. <laughs> well, I can see why you're so passionate about this. And I've watched some of your videos and seen your posts on Facebook. And I can see the connection now because this has dramatically changed your life, how you feel, a chronic condition that was taking away quality of your life. And you want to pass that on to other people that are suffering. So thank you so much for your passion. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, let's dig into GI now, if you don't mind. (laughs) One of my favorite things to treat, because it's so common in pediatrics, is constipation. Do you see a lot of that in adults? And what is your approach? Oh, it's so common in adults. And I know it's so common in pediatrics as well. And um, I'm sure, um, you know, I see my colleagues, um, my family practice colleagues uh, treat these poor kids with enemas in the hospital. They get impacted. Uh, They get, uh, as you know, they come to the hospital and extreme measures are taken for these poor children. And again, I'm not a pediatrician, but I see it. I see it all the time where these poor kids are, they can't eat anymore. They stop eating because they're so full of uh, stool and uh, basically they can't go to the bathroom. And a lot of um, pediatricians uh, talk to them about behavioral modifications, which is important. Like don't hold your stool. Yeah, all of that is important, but I believe that the most important thing is diet because in the adult population, the most important thing is diet. So it carries on to adulthood and, and these, these adults keep on going to the emergency room every so often with impactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't think that's extreme and eating more plants is extreme. Oh, I can't be that extreme. I can't eat plants all day. Well, guess what? <laughs> going to the hospital and having something 
you know, injected inside your rectum to have a bowel movement is more extreme. Oftentimes, I don't want to get too gross here. I hope your listeners are not eating at this time, but I have to insert my whole hand into the rectum and pull out the stool. I literally have to put my entire hand. It's a good thing I have small hands, but <laughs> I have to insert, put a bunch of KY jelly on my gloved hand and put my entire hand inside the rectum, advance it into the rectum, far up and pull out break out the stool and pull it out. Otherwise, these poor people would have to go to surgery and have their bowel cut out, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's an extreme problem, and I'm glad you brought it up. So what happens is the lack of fiber is killing us, Dr. Yami, the lack of fiber. So fiber is very important. A lot of people, if you read the internet, all everyone says is drink more water for constipation. Well, my question, this is a rhetorical question is, what is water going to do for you? When you drink water, 11 liters of water will get reabsorbed into your blood and into your kidneys because as uh, human beings, we're programmed so we don't die of dehydration. So the small bowel's job is to recirculate or uh, reabsorb 11 liters of water from your small bowel into your blood system and, and, and pee it out or retain it. It's not your prior, nature's priority is not for you to have a bowel movement. So what, what the colon is supposed to do, the small bowel and the colon in combination are supposed to concentrate your stool as much as possible. The only way you can have more hydrated stools is if you're eating a lot of plants or plant-based foods, which have a lot of fiber, which drag this water into your colon, you know, and also, when you eat a lot of fiber, the bacterial composition of your bowel changes. So you basically have more bowel movement, bowel movements, and you have more bacteria. And so basically, what fiber does is it bulks your stool by by in, uh, introducing more of the good gut bacteria into your gut and keep it more hydrated. So you have regular bowel movements. You know what I mean. So it, 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 when you read the internet, it's just basically they teach you the wrong things. Um, it goes from drinking apple cider vinegar to which doesn't do anything for constipation to uh, drink more water, which doesn't do anything for constipation, which drink smooth tea. Well, these teas have stimulant laxatives. They're powerful stimulant laxatives, which squeeze the heck out of your colon. Again, not very natural. It's disturbing your uh, biological nervous system. So there are a lot of bad advice on the internet, but when it comes to it, if I could just clear out the confusion and tell you the one thing you can do for constipation is number one, ditch dairy because dairy constipates people. It either constipates you or gives you diarrhea. And so one or the other, and I've seen both. And I see more diarrhea than constipation. I don't know in the kids population, but it does both. And number two, um, introduce tons of fiber into your diet. So those are the two pieces of advice I have. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. In pediatrics, I feel that the dairy is mostly causing constipation, especially in the toddlers and sometimes in the babies because babies naturally are 
designed to drink human breast milk and they do really well with that. The stool stays really, really loose. And sometimes when they have the introduction of cow's milk based formula or cow's milk after they turn one, it's a dramatic change. When I take histories, I hear that. Well, when we changed the formula around nine months or when he was weaned and we started cow's milk, that's when it got like to extreme constipation like you were talking about. And in kids, one of the things that we see is encopresis, which you probably see in adults too, but in kids that really affects their social life. It can affect their self-esteem. And I see it go hand in hand with children that have a lot of problems socially and emotionally. So I definitely wanna prevent it from getting to that point because it can really critically damage a child's view of themselves and perception of themselves. Definitely. I, I think that most, um, most adults don't understand that the protein composition of milk is so different than the protein composition of breast milk. <laughs> so the amount of casein that's in the breast milk is not anywhere close to, uh, or it's basically so much more casein in, in cow's milk than in breast milk. breast milk. And overall composition is made for a large mammal, it, it, you know, and, and for small mammals, you know, compared to the cows. So the composition of milk is so different and, and it is definitely not a good replacement. And I don't know where that came from, where we should just uh, drink cow's milk, but it's completely unnatural. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So whenever you talk to your patients about fiber, do you give them guidelines or how do you teach them about how much fiber they should be eating? Right. So in that, that's a very good question. And it's still, I think that there's so much awareness that, to, that needs to go out. So fiber is um, a nutrient of concern in America. The, um, basically, uh, the government is saying, please eat more fiber. And to this day, most people are not even getting, most people are getting about 15 grams of fiber. You and I, Dr. Yami, probably get 80 or more, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine 15 is like, they say 15 to 30. Most Americans probably don't even get 15. And it's because fiber is in whole foods, foods that grow on trees, come from the ground, and that are not processed. So whenever you process something, you basically um, take the fiber, you strip it away from the plant. For example, think about white rice versus brown rice. Brown rice is basically um, the less refined and the white rice is completely refined where you just basically take all the fiber away and bleach it and it looks white. Uh, so it, for example, um, you know, when you look at table sugar, table sugar doesn't grow on trees. It came from sugar canes and all the fiber is stripped away. So as you think about, oh, well, you know, when you, when you eat food, you have to think about, did that grow in nature the way it did? And you think about, okay, so how, like, for example, eat oranges instead of orange juice because orange juice doesn't have fiber. Orange juice is good for you, good source of vitamin C, but what you see is they add sugar to it and they take away the fiber. So always think about how could I get to as natural state of the fruit and the vegetables as I can and eat, eat like that. And you don't have to think about numbers, but if, you, if, you, if you're bad at math, I'm really bad at math, what I do is this. <laughs> I go, okay, I'm going to ditch dairy for good, boom that takes away a lot of junk out of my diet because dairy has zero fiber, right? Okay, I'm gonna ditch meat because meat has zero fiber. I'm gonna ditch eggs. 
X has zero fiber. Okay, so that's step one. You ditch all the bad foods that have no fiber. And then you think about, okay, how could I get as close to nature as possible? And just basically what that leaves you with is fruits, vegetables in the whole form, um, nuts, seeds, grains, and legumes. Now, if I were to put it in the order of highest fiber to the lowest fiber, if you eat a lot of legumes, which includes uh, beans, any kind of beans like kidney beans, black beans, and pinto beans, and all those nice things, and, um, and um, uh, lentils, right? I love lentils, okay. Um, I named it last, but it's my favorite. <laughs> so legumes in general have tons of fiber, the most fiber out of all the vegetables, right? So um, rule number one, start introducing legumes into your diet every day, okay? So then you will get, if you just eat a serving of legumes, you'll get more fiber than most American, Americans would. Number two, grains. Start eating grains. Like a lot of people are afraid of bread. There's nothing wrong with bread if you're choosing good non-refined bread. So if you put, for example, Ezekiel bread in front of you or Dave's Killer bread, these breads are all totally vegan. There's no dairy in them. And they, so, um, and the, the ingredients that are combined in these breads are non-refined. So the fiber is intact, right? So they have tons of fiber. So eat, eat bread for some grains because the number two group of uh, uh, basically whole foods that have the highest amount of fiber are grains. So we had legumes. Number two is grains. Number three is vegetables, right? Eat tons of green leafy vegetables, cruciferous vegetables. Any type of vegetable has a lot of um, fiber. Then, of course, you have nuts and seeds, which have a lot of fiber, and of course, fruits. Now, fruits have probably the least amount of fiber, but they have the most amount of antioxidants. Mm -hmm. So you definitely want to eat those as well. And if you have, basically, Dr. Greger has this app where you can like, put, like how many servings of what you had, and you can reach your fiber needs. You can each reach 80 grams if you just listen to, listen to how many servings you need to have per day. What is it called? The daily dozen, right? Yes, the daily dozen. Mm-hmm. If you want to reach your fiber, just go through the daily dozen and go, okay, well, yeah, I did this, I did this, and just kind of go through the list and make sure you hit all those categories. And I guarantee you'll have 80 grams of fiber per day. No problem. Easy. Yes. Well, I like to say that fiber is my favorite F word. And I think I agree with you in that it's our greatest deficiency in the American diet. We're worried about all these vitamin deficiencies, but no, our biggest deficiency is fiber. And you're right. As far as beans, there are some beans that for one serving, which is just half a cup of whole beans, have 14 grams of fiber, which is getting close to what the average American is having in a full 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So that is fabulous. What do you think about these fiber supplements? This is very common in the pediatrics community now, is these fiber gummies and all of these things. What, What do you think about those? I think the parents um, are giving their, um, if they're, I don't want to be mean here, but let me just bear with me here. If you're giving your child fiber gummies, that means you're feeding them a bad diet where they need to eat those fiber gummies. I have nothing against fiber supplements. I have something against giving your kids a bad diet and supplementing with, with uh, fiber gummies. I would say fiber gummies uh, are band-aid therapy. You're not addressing the real cause of constipation. So I do want to be a little bit dramatic here in my answer and be like, look into your child's diet and, and 
make sure you're giving them enough fiber. If they're still constipated, give them the fiber gummies. But if you're giving them chicken McNuggets, which have zero fiber, if you're giving them French fries, which have, you know, basically they're just fried to death. If you're giving um, your kids dairy, which has zero fiber, yes, you're going to have to reach for the fiber supplements. But if you're giving them good foods, you don't even need the supplements. You know, save your money. This is all, this all, this is all just junk bottled up stuff, supplements. They don't work very well because if you look at the studies, you know, if giving patients fiber doesn't uh, replace real foods because you don't get the same cardiovascular benefits as you get from eating real foods with real fiber. Exactly. Thank you so much. I just wanted to hear a GI doctor say that. <laughs> that was really selfish of me. Um, okay. So what, what's the worst consequence of constipation? Why should we care about it as much? Besides the fact that, of course, it can be painful and it can make kids feel bad. It can make adults feel bad. What else is bad about having chronic constipation? Well, there is also some evidence that uh, the when you have chronic stasis of stool in the colon, that can uh, pre um, basically exp you know expo it could expose you to a lot of bile acids, which are dam damaging to the bowels, and can basically increase your risk of uh, colon cancer. So it's really important that your body flushes out these toxins on a daily basis, or not necessarily on a daily basis. You don't have to have a bowel movement every day, but it, it's very important that you have healthy looking bowel movements that look like a sausage. If your bowel movement looks like a sausage and you don't have to strain very hard to evacuate it, um, that's a normal bowel movement. So it depends on how much you eat. If you're eating a lot of food, you may have three bowel movements a day. If you're not eating a lot of food, you may have every a bowel movement every other day. But the point is that these healthy bowel movements and uh, movement of the gastrointestinal tract also gets rid of all these poisons and the bile acids that are in the stool that could uh, potentially expose your colonic cells to um, these uh, harsh acids that could um, cause colon cancer. Yes, and I actually saw a video from Dr. Greger as well that was linking the number of bowel movements to breast cancer even, and kind of the same concept of the longer you have retained stool in there, the more exposure to toxins you may have and the less evacuation you have of those excess hormones and, and all of that. So um, definitely, I think that besides the fact that it's uncomfortable and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel good, there could be some chronic consequences of having chronic constipation. Well, on the lines of colon cancer, I know that in the community, especially as people become more whole food plant-based and they want to do things more naturally, they start to become a little bit suspicious or skeptical of screening tests. It seems like from your website that you do advocate for regular screening colonoscopies after a certain age. Hey humans, I know you want to eat healthier but feel strapped for time and even the thought of meal planning and cooking stresses you out. Well, have you considered trying a meal kit service? Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that make it easy to stick to a healthy living routine. 
Find recipes for every lifestyle, including plant-based diets. Green Chef delivers quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients, including low added sugar and sodium smart options. You get to choose from 80 plus flavor packed options that allow you to take back time in your kitchen with dinner ready in 30 minutes and lunch in 10. Try 15 plus new recipes every week. But here's the best part. Green Chef delivers everything you need to make convenient, wholesome, and delicious meals directly to your doorstep. Each meal kit includes pre-measured ingredients, as well as some produce that comes already pre-chopped and custom sauces that are pre-made in-house. They also provide the recipe cards and the meals are really simple to make. It's a delicious, fresh, home-cooked meal without the hassle. What I love the most about Green Chef is that it takes the stress out of cooking. The recipes are easy to follow and everything you need is included. So even the less experienced cooks in your house can make a delicious home cooked meal. It's perfect for those seasons in your life that you're really busy with your kids' sports and school events. Hello spring and time is limited, especially if you want fresh home cooked healthy meals to put on the table. So if you're feeling frustrated by the lack of time to eat healthy and you are ready to try Green Chef and see how easily you can integrate it into your healthy lifestyle, go to greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use the code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with products intended to bring your mind and body back in harmony. They consider themselves a by women and for women company, and they now offer a nutrient-dense green powder called Daily Nutrigreens. Myself and my staff here at Nourish Wellness all tried the Daily Nutrigreens, and we loved it. The Daily Nutrigreens contain an immune antioxidant and detox blend, along with prebiotics, probiotics, and over 35 fruits and veggies. It also contains other important nutrients, such as B12, iron, zinc, and selenium. The daily greens are certified organic and all you have to do is mix it with water, but you can also easily add to your smoothies, your oatmeal, or your baked goods. The daily Nutri-Greens are vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And another bonus is that the packaging is compostable. Yay! When I tried the apple banana daily Nutri-Greens, I was surprised by the pleasant and mild flavor. It was easy to prepare and drink and didn't leave any aftertaste. And I felt great afterwards. It's really easy to create a daily ritual around your green drink, integrated into your daily self-care routine. A green powder is one way to fill the gap in daily nutrition and is an easy and convenient way to get in your greens. These powders are a great way to add more nutrients into your diet during busy times, travel, and transitions in life when you don't have time or access to fresh green veggies. If you're interested in trying Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens, head to myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, that's D-R-Y-A-M-I, for 15% off Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens and much more. That's myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I, at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. 
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at so can you tell me more about colonoscopies, if you recommend them, what age and what are the benefits? Well, to date, we don't have any um, robust studies that show that if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet that you don't need a screening colonoscopy. Um, it's a good question. I am going to get mine just because I did eat badly for, I don't know, uh, 40 years. <laughs> right. Um, and I could have had a mutation in something. You just don't know. Now, it would be interesting um, as our knowledge of whole food plant-based advances and we have more and more people who are eating a whole food plant-based diet to round them up and do a study to see how if you're eating an X amount of fiber, you don't need a screening colonoscopy. That would be great. We don't have that evidence yet. So still to this day, I go with the general um, guidelines of the uh, United States task, for, task uh, forces and with the American College of Gastroenterology. And I say, um, at age 50, you should get a screening colonoscopy um, or some other modalities are there as well. You don't have to have a colonoscopy. There's a cologuard test. There is also a fecal occult blood test, which is not as good, but um, it's still available for people who live in those areas where they can't have a colonoscopy. There is barium enemas. Again, they're not as good. The gold standard still colonoscopy. However, there are other tests, but you should have a screening test at age 50. If you had a family history of colon cancer, you should do your first colonoscopy 10 years prior to the index case or age 40, whichever came first. Mm -hmm. So definitely talk to your doctor if you've had a, um, a family history. Um, so the, the most important thing is remember, you can protect yourself against uh, cancer if you avoid all processed meats, like basically lunch meats, bacon, sausage, all of those processed meats cause cancer, class one carcinogen. Also red meat in the Women's Health Initiative study uh, with one of the largest studies done uh, by Harvard showed that red meat is uh, associated with uh, colon cancer. So avoid uh, those things. Of, of altogether. Um, and we're still um, studying about other factors that cause colon cancer, but um, it, it just increase your fiber to reduce your risk. But we still don't know at what age we should do screening, if at all, if you are consuming 80 grams of fiber per day. Uh, so that jury still hung. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it sounds like especially for a lot of us that we didn't transition into a whole food plant-based diet until we were adults. And we were talking before we started recording that when I was a kid, my diet was not great. Mm -hmm. I ate a lot of fried processed junky kind of foods. So it sounds like for, for most of us, it's probably a good idea to go ahead and get screened just to make sure that we can catch anything. My aunt actually, who was my inspiration to become a doctor, she died of colon cancer and she was only 43 years old. So it's one of those things that I remember and I take very seriously. And one of the reasons why I'm also so aggressive about treating constipation is because I don't want other people to suffer from that. Absolutely. So let's talk about reflux. So reflux seems to be one of those things that we've just accepted in our society. If you watch any TV at all, see any advertisements, basically 
they show somebody wanting to have some kind of greasy fried meat kind of food and they know they're going to get reflux. So they reach for some kind of medication so that they can still have that food and not have reflux, which seems to be like totally normal in our society, even though in the commercial it shows they know that they're going to get it. But like, hey, I want to eat that anyway. So I'm going to take this. Isn't that crazy? So you you see these guys like uh, high fiving each other, like drinking beer. And then you see the next commercial comes in the fast food, the guy eating a juicy burger. And the next commercial, someone's having heartburn and it's like fire in their chest. And let's let's talk about it next to him now. So it's like really cool. Alcohol commercial, commercial, fast food commercial, right into GERD commercial. Yes, it's so common. So I'm sure you see this a lot. So tell me what is your approach to treating reflux? I'm assuming that diet has a big part of it. Absolutely, Dr. Yami. So one of the most important things I want to get get across today is acid reflux doesn't have anything to do with acid. It has to do with reflux. A lot of people think acid, acid, acid. Well, I have news for you, um, you know, for people. Um, Acid lives in the stomach. That's where it's supposed to live, right? Hydrochloric acid gets pumped inside the stomach as you eat. When you look at food, smell food, eat food, the HCL or hydrochloric acid pumps get upgraded. Um, Basically, they come out into the um, stomach and spray acid. So there's no problem with acid in the stomach. The stomach intelligently has evolved to have a mucus layer to protect itself from the acid. Now, when that acid comes up into the esophagus, where the, the pipe where you're supposed to eat the food and swallow the food through, that's where there's a problem because the esophagus is not equipped to handle acid. So that's where you get super, it's very painful. It becomes super painful and you can get something called esophagitis, which is inflammation of the esophagus. Now, the problem is that, um, so the normal anatomy is such that after you swallow the food, the food travels through the esophagus, comes into the stomach where there's acid, it mixes with acid. However, there is a sphincter called the lower esophageal sphincter that closes once you've finished swallowing. The problem is it becomes pathological when this sphincter relaxes and it allows the acid and the food to come up, which is called the refluxate, okay? So again, it's not a problem of acid, it's a problem of this sphincter relaxing and allowing this refluxate to come up into the esophagus. That causes reflux and reflux symptoms, heartburn, whatever you wanna call it. And when that occurs several times a, a week, then you call it acid reflux disease or gastroesophageal reflux disease. Most Americans, like three out of five Americans report reflux. That has become such an acceptable thing. Like one of those other things where, well, when you're 50, you have your first heart attack or you get on stand therapy. It is not normal, guys. <laughs> it's not normal. So then, so let's talk about what causes reflux, right? So a lot of people go and um, have, um, you know, pizza. And they come to me and they go, that tomato sauce, that damn tomato sauce gave me so much reflux because of acid. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, it's not the tomato sauce. It's that cheese (laughs) on the pizza that gave it to you. When you have off the Ducini Alfredo with a glass of wine, it's that creamy sauce with all that heavy fat and the wine that gave you the reflux. So I just want to basically simplify this. I like to learn things in a simple way. I want to basically tell you four things that cause reflux, and I want everybody to remember that. Number one, first and foremost, the worst thing for gastroesophageal reflux disease is fat. 
When you eat fat, the lower esophageal sphincter, the LES, relaxes and allows the acid to come up. That's number one. You can say that at a cocktail party and look really smart. <laughs> Go, let me talk to you about the LES. Anyway, number two, alcohol. Alcohol re relaxes the LES. Number three is coffee, if you drink way too much coffee. And number four, obesity is, 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 a, is also a reason. So if you avoid fat in your diet, if you stop drinking um, or drink very little and avoid drinking coffee every day and lose weight, these four factors essentially would get rid of your reflux. I have done this multiple times in, in, in my patients or my, my patients have done it under my direction and they're off their medicines. Off their medicines. Sometimes I tell people, hey, avoid dairy and they come back and it was the maldigestion of dairy that was causing the reflux. Even just ditching the dairy causes the reflux to go away. There's something, especially cheese, right? Cheese is super fatty. It's just a block of fat. So um, remember, those are very important and get rid of these acid reflux medications, which could cause SIBO. They have side effects. Now, if you're not going to fix your diet, please take them because then you will get esophagitis. But I'm not saying to take the medicines. I'm saying to fix your diet so you don't have to take the medicines. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I guess people in some ways might know that, but they would prefer to take the medicines and just eat the food, right? Because that's what the commercials are telling us to do. Um, but, but I think whenever you tell people outright, listen, you have control over this. You can make changes so that you can be off medicines and be comfortable and not have this discomfort. Because with reflux, we know too that chronic esophagitis can also lead to cancer, right? Chronic reflux can uh, switch the mucosa of the esophagus to an abnormal mucosa called Barrett's, and that could cause cancer. And the incidence of cancer is going up in the esophagus. Yes. So it's important to know, and it's important for people to feel empowered that they can make changes to their diet themselves. Absolutely. Let's talk about something that is becoming, unfortunately, more and more common, and I feel like it's misunderstood, and that's fatty liver disease. Is this something that you treat often and see often, and how can we prevent or potentially reverse this condition? I am so glad you asked that question. Thank you. Nobody has asked me that before. I, I love the liver, and I'm, I'm a liver specialist. I did two years of re research. in the in, I did postdoctoral stem cell fellowship. In, in liver disease to reverse liver disease, fibrosis. So this is such a good question, guys. So when you start eating, when you eat badly, okay, a lot of people think, well, I have, I'm, I'm thin, right? I'm, I'm good. Well, I have bad news. Besides the fact that you could elevate your cholesterol, besides the fact that you can have what we call metabolic syndrome, high sugar, insulin resistance, one of the bad things that happen is fat cells get deposited into your liver and you develop something called fatty liver disease. You don't have to be obese to develop fatty liver disease. This fat is uh, referred to as visceral fat. Visceral fat, uh, it comes from eating badly. So a lot of people who eat well, but they're overweight, um, they don't have this bad visceral fat that kills you. It's the people who are, they can actually look skinny from the outside, but they're eating badly that can develop this visceral fat. Visceral fat is killer. This fat gets, uh, surrounds your organs like the bowels and it, it gets inserted, infiltrated in the liver and literally emits uh, cytokines and tumor necrosis factors, blah, 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 in English, inflammatory 
hormones um, that can uh, damage the cells around them, the liver cells, which we call the hepatocyte. And it can uh, cause coronary artery disease. They can cause um, immunological disorders. So we used to think fat is just cushion, right? It's just cushiony stuff to protect you against the cold or um, from breaking your bones. Not true. Fat is actually the stored fat that we have in our body is the largest endocrine system in our body. And it's responsible for producing all kinds of cytokines and inflammatory stuff. So when you have this fat insert, inserted in the liver, it starts emitting all these um, uh, inflammatory stuff. And what happens is your body tries to protect itself. So it starts uh, filling the liver up with what we call fibrosis, otherwise known as scar tissue. And so this scar tissue causes liver damage and your liver gets damaged and damaged and damaged. And then it gets to a point what's called cirrhosis and irreversible. It becomes irreversible and it's just, just the point of no return when it gets to stage three and four fibrosis. So you can catch it in the early stages of when I mean, it's just fatty liver disease or fibrosis level one and two, and, and you can reverse it. It's still reversible. So um, then the question is, well, how do you get rid of the fat? You have to go on a, on a healthy diet. And when you do go on a healthy diet, lo and behold, and, and exercise. If you get on an exercise regimen and a healthy diet, it just melts away, literally melts away. And I've seen that reverse all the time. So I think one of the problems too with fatty liver disease is especially in the beginning is it's asymptomatic, right? And like you said, I've seen it a lot in very thin people who appear to be, we have this bias, right? That thin people automatically are healthy and overweight people automatically are unhealthy, which right. is a whole nother discussion on of itself. But it can happen in thin people that have this visceral fat and they may feel nothing, but their liver enzymes are actually already climbing. So yeah. what do you suggest as far as you said, healthy diet? What are your specific recommendations for people that are susceptible to fatty liver disease or have already been diagnosed in those first stages? Well, that's a very good question. My suggestion would be to avoid all liver toxins, right? Which is avoid alcohol, number one. Number two, start eating a whole food plant-based diet devoid of fat because fat is really, a low-fat diet is very, very critical in becoming, making you more insulin sensitive to clean out the liver, uh, to clean out all the fat from the liver. Uh, it, it's basically, when, when there's a fat in the liver, you know, it's basically telling you you're also insulin resistant. All, all happens at the same time. We call it metabolic syndrome, where you have higher cholesterol levels in in the blood, you have uh, your insulin resistance score is high, and your blood sugar could be high, your hemoglobin A1C could be high, but you definitely have insulin resistance and you have that fat as well. So it's kind of like the it's a syndrome, a metabolic syndrome, and there's various degrees of it. But um, so the, the, the diet that helps you is the diet that makes you more what insulin sensitive to clean out the sugar out of your diet and, and clear out that fat. So, what diet is that? Well, studies show that the way to make your body more insulin sensitive and reverse that insulin resistance is a low-fat diet, okay, low-fat diet. So what do I mean by that? Well, studies show that saturated fat uh, paralyzes the glucose transporter systems in the, in the cells. 
So if you just avoid all that crap fat out of your diet, your cells become more insulin sensitive and your metabolism goes up and you start burning that fat and the liver has a very good robust system to clean it out itself. It's just that when you're bombarding it with fat foods, it just starts accumulating the junk into the liver, right? But it has a very good way of quote unquote detoxing, that word detox is thrown out a lot, but yeah, the liver can detox itself by kicking out all that junk fat and metabolizing it. But you have to basically eat healthy and make yourself more insulin sensitive. And by that, by doing that, then all of that fat goes away. So I guess the low fat diet is the best diet. And so then again, we go back to, well, what's a good low fat diet? It's the whole food plant-based diet where you're adding zero oil to your food and you're basically um, eating only good fats like avocado, nuts, and seeds. Yes. And I want to emphasize the alcohol because especially where I live in the Pacific Northwest, wine is a big deal. And we've had so many of these studies that come out that say, especially now with the Blue Zones work, we should eat a, have a moderate consumption of alcohol, but it sounds like for people that have fatty liver disease or are susceptible, alcohol could be more detrimental than it is helpful to them. Absolutely. You know, one thing people don't understand is alcohol carries a lot of calories. It's not empty calories and it has more calories per gram than carbs and protein. So whereas carbs and proteins have four calories per gram, alcohol has seven calories per gram and fat has nine calories per gram. So even the a little, like you could literally drink, if you drank two glasses of wine, that's like enough calories as a whole meal. So imagine how bad that is for you because you're going way over your calories and they accumulate. So alcohol is not just gram per gram deleterious as far as its calories. For some reason, it promotes visceral fat in the abdomen. It, it basically, um, it's not like it gives you more fat in the thighs. Unfortunately, it gives you more visceral fat in the abdomen and in the liver. For some reason, it discriminates against those organs. So that's why it's such bad fat for you. I don't know if it's because uh, it's because of the calories or it's just basically because of the insulin, um, um, because of its glycemic index. I don't know, but it discriminates against um, the bad fat. Not against, it's basically discriminates against the good fat and it accumulates as bad fat. So definitely alcohol is a huge problem. Yes. And I think one of the things I read, uh, Ray Cronice has done a lot of this work and he has a book coming out soon. And he talks about this metabolic priority thing and the way that it's metabolized. Maybe that's what has something to do with it, why it can be so harmful to people, especially that are susceptible to fatty liver disease. Okay. So one last GI question, because I, I really want to talk about inflammatory bowel disease. There's many people now that are suffering from Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, and they are told, just like you were for your eczema, that it has nothing to do with diet. They just need to be on medications for the rest of their lives. What do you say to these patients? Um, I tell them, pick a doctor who understands whole food plant-based medicine. <laughs> okay, so that was my sarcastic joke. But anyway, um, to be honest with you, Dr. Yami, there's a lot of evidence now that is pointing towards the gut microbiome as the etiology of the initiation of this um, inflammation, inflammatory cascade that happens in inflammatory bowel disease. So there's an inflammatory cascade. It starts as your white cells attack the bowel, 
and th then it becomes worse and worse. And then this whole inflammatory cascade goes out of control and it keeps attacking your bowel and finds your bowel as foreign. Now, in genetically susceptible individuals, if there is a gut bacteria imbalance, um, there's some studies that show the bacterioides, the bad, the inflammatory gut microbiome start this cascade. Um, if you're genetic, in genetic susceptible individuals, this cascade goes out of hand and it develops into inflammatory bowel disease. So the smart gastroenterologists were like, well, wait a minute, like, what do we do then? Are telling their patients, well, let's see, let's fix your diet to improve the gut microbiome balance. In your bowel, you have two populations of uh, gut microbiome. Um, they, there are 36 trillion gut microbiome, but generally speaking, there's a half of the gut microbiome that are really good for you and they uh, put out inflammation. And then there is the bad gut microbiome that are pro-inflammatory or in, uh, increase inflammation. So the thought is, well, why don't you have more, if you could increase the population of the good gut microbiome, maybe you could take, basically uh, quiet down the bad guys. And indeed, that is true. So what I have decided is I basically uh, treat my patients with, um, if they have really, really mild um, inflammatory bowel disease, I go, I go ahead and put them on a whole food plant-based diet. And I've had great success with that. And I tell them, look, this is not evidence-based yet because we're at the forefront of this whole food plant-based. But um, I, I have had... Um, basically anecdotal evidence that you can treat the inflammatory bowel and, and most people are like, sure, I'm, I'm up for it. And literally they eliminate their disease. I had a patient who had 25 bowel movements, bloody bowel movements a day. Like it had affected her quality of life, ulcerations all over her colon. She had ulcerative colitis and she went on a whole food plant-based diet and literally eradicated her disease. She moved from Newport Beach to Oregon and she came back to see me a week ago and she's like, I don't need to come see you anymore. She fired me as her doctor because she's like, I'm fine now. I don't really need to come all the way from Oregon to see you every time. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> Goodbye. Have a good life. Anyway, anyway but, but I've also done that with someone with Crohn's disease. Again, this is anecdotal, but I just want to give hope to people who are suffering from this disease and they don't want to be on these heavy duty medicines. So if you have never started on any of these medicines, I would suggest that you talk to your doctor um, and basically also evaluate the whole food plant-based diet either as adjunctive therapy or as ways to put yourself into into um, um, basically remission. I had a patient with Crohn's disease. He went on a whole food plant-based He owned a juice bar, right? So wow. it's funny. I was like, you know what? I want you to just live on juices, just eat juices and blend stuff, fruits, fruits and vegetables. That's all you can eat. He literally did that. He went on a zero fat diet. He was just eating all kinds of like fruits, vegetables, and he put his Crohn's disease into remission. He was going to Korea one um, one day, and he's like, um, you know, I said, please make sure you don't eat anything bad. Oh, by the way, he had pyoderma gangrenosum on his face, which is a really bad rash that you get from IBD and his doctors were going to put him on Remicade. And um, I, I would have even done that because of his bad disease. I would have been like, dude, I don't know if the just diet can help you. But he refused. He flat out refused to be on the IBD medicines. So I was like, okay, I'll support you, man. Let's do it. So he, um, he was in remission. He went to Korea and he had one Korean barbecue. Guess what happened? His disease came back. So, um, you know, then he went into remission again when he went on a whole food plant-based diet um, and he flared up again one time he cheated. So every time he cheated, he flared up. 
And but unfortunately, every time every time he flared up, he was worse. Then I had to use steroids to put him into remission. But um, there are people who present to me who have really severe disease. And what I do is I induce remission with prednisone, and then I keep them in remission with a whole food plant based diet. But it takes about 90 days to turn over that gut microbiome, about 90 days. So people have to be like literally super strict and they have to be uh, willing to follow directions. And basically I make them uh, get that 80-10-10, you know, go on that 80-10-10 diet, Dr. McDougall's diet. And if they do that, they they can literally, they have a chance of eradicating the, the disease. I have had one other patient, and I'm sorry that I'm not talking evidence-based here. It's all anecdotal because that's all we have right now, right? That's where it starts. They will at some point do um, uh, research on this, but at this point, this is all we have is anecdotal evidence. But I do have a patient who got off of his uh, her biologics and may, has been maintaining herself on a whole food family side. I had nothing to do with her going off the biologic medicines, but she did it anyway. But what I'm uh, trying to say, if you have inflammatory bowel disease, don't get off the biologics. That's a bad idea. Right now, there is evidence that if you do, you develop antibodies against it and they may never work again. However, um, no matter where you are, what you're doing on medicines, not on medicines, go on a whole food plant-based diet because we're seeing so many good effects. When you give up that meat or ditch the meat, the sulfites are causing uh, somehow um, inflammatory bowel disease and the dairy somehow is causing inflammatory bowel disease. And so what we want to do, and, and by, by the way, when you eat meat and dairy and eggs, um, which have zero fiber, they feed the bad gut microbiome, which can lead to inflammatory bowel. There are multiple mechanisms that are basically we're suspicious of in a genetically um, uh, prone individual. But bottom line is if you eat a whole food plant based diet, you have a really good chance of eradicating the disease. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely hope, especially for people that, you know, they just suffer from this condition. And I, I want everybody out there who either has inflammatory bowel disease or has a family member with inflammatory bowel disease to please consider this. Consider yeah. even just trying it. Even if you've had specialists tell you, nope, diet has nothing to do with it. It really, there's just way too many stories of people going into remission or at least really alleviating their symptoms because there's people that are on medications, heavy duty medications, and still having breakthrough symptoms. So any little bit helps. Well, thank you so much. I want to shift gears and I want to ask you more about yourself. What motivates you, Dr. Angie, to do the work that you do? Well, as you know, Dr. Yami, I'm sure you would agree with me that we went into medical school to help people, right? My heart and soul is basically, since I was nine years old, I was nine years old when I decided that I wanted to become a doctor. I had watched a documentary documentary about um, Madame Curie. And, you know, I'm 45 years old. And back then, we didn't have a lot of female role models. You know, we had a few, very few. But when I watched this documentary on Madame Curie, and she was such a dedicated scientist, and I just was like, oh my gosh. And from a very young age, I was sort of a feminist. Um, and in, in all the good, and I, I know sometimes uh, the whole word has taken to directions where it's just wrong. But I wanted to uh, show people that, show people that females with who have big hearts and they're like motherly you know we can bring this whole approach to medicine that's through the heart and i wanted to lead with my heart and genuinely help people medical school was uh fantastic i learned a lot but i learned more in practice that everything i learned in medical school was just basically medical basic knowledge but 
I was not really helping people. I was just band-aid treating their diseases. So when I discovered this whole nutritional approach, I really realized I, I have the ability to really um, lead with my heart here and help people and get through the basically get to the root cause of their illness and really help them. And for those who actually listen and are willing to try what I'm asking them to try, they get such amazing results. And that's truly helping your patients rather than giving them medicines and saying, well, come back three months so I can check your levels of this medicine and that medicine. Well, come back and make sure you don't have any liver damage. Come back and I feel like these patients are like literally getting cured and they don't need my help. And that to me is true success as a physician. And that to me reminds me of why I went into medicine. And that to me feels like the Mother Theresa's and the Madame Curie's of the world, uh, the true healers of the world, you know. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, I just want to say, uh, excuse my French, but you are a badass female <laughs> GI physician and you are a role model to me. So oh. thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. And thank you for sharing that story. That's truly beautiful. Thank you. So what habit, what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? My proudest personal habit in the world is I decided four years ago that I was going to go to the gym every single day. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to work out 25 minutes a day and not two hours, not three hours, but 25 minutes as a busy mother and a physician. I figured I don't need to be looking big and muscular. I just need to maintain my muscles and look fit. That's all I want. And so I decided that I was going to dedicate 25 minutes of my time. That's not that much. Every day I go to the gym. And I did. At first it was hard because I like had to really go out of my way to, you know, figure out, schedule it. And like literally I would schedule it every day at a certain time. And I uh, put it in my calendar because if it's not on your calendar, it doesn't exist, right? So I made a drill. I put it down and I planned it. And today I can tell you it's such a habit. It's like almost every other habit that you just do and you don't even think about. Like I just leave work and my car drives to the gym. I don't even have to think about it. <laughs> you know, so I'm very proud of that. I probably, I've probably skipped maybe a handful of workouts since four years ago, but I have uh, pretty much made it to the gym every single day. <laughs> Wow. That's, that's truly amazing. I have a, a group on Facebook, a, a little private group called Warrior Woman Wellness, and we've been doing 30-day challenges. And one of them was getting 10,000 steps for me, getting 10,000 steps in 30 days, every day for 30 days. And I was surprised at how much some days I had to push myself because at the end I was like 6,000. Oh man, I have to go out and get 4,000 steps. But once you make it a habit of achieving that goal, it's almost like you can't not do it. You want to do it. And, and like you said, it becomes easier and easier and, and it gives you that sense of self-efficacy. You become really proud of yourself for doing something that sometimes is hard. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Dr. Angie, this has been such a lovely interview. Of course, I've fallen in love with you. You are wonderful. Thank you for all the work you do. Before we leave, I would love for you to tell my listeners how they can connect with you so that they can hear more of your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to you. You're amazing. Um, we only have like a handful of uh, pediatric, whole food plant-based pedi pediatricians. So it's such a blessing that you are out there. 
Um, and I will continue talking about you on my Instagram, where is what I would recommend your listeners to, to tune into my Instagram, because I do provide, as you know, I, I put out a lot of stories on Instagram all the time. So Angie.Sadegi. So it's A-N-G-I-E dot S-A-D-E-G-H-I, Angie.Sadegi. And um, I will continue uh, putting out all kinds of good information for you guys. And so definitely tune into my Instagram, which is where I'm most active. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for people that live in your area, are you still accepting new patients to your practice? I am. I am uh, seeing patients in Newport Beach, California, and my phone number there is 949-404-4444. Awesome. Dr. Angie, thank you so much for all the work you do. I hope to be able to meet you in person sometime soon and keep on doing the great work. You too. Have a plantastic day. <laughs> you too. Thank you. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me. Broccoli. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next time. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use their broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocketsurgeonsmusic. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at VeggieFitKids on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, or you can email me at VeggieDoctor at VeggieFitKids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast, and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again, and have a plantastic day. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.